Welcome to episode 255 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is just a catch-up episode. Uh, I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So um, head of a new uh, Patreon supporter there, Shane, I think we got a shout out too. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And, and I will apologize in advance if I get this first name incorrect, but it's Haiti or Hattie, maybe H A D I. Uh, thank you very much for the Patreon support. We really appreciate it. And as always, thank you to all of the Patreon supporters. It uh, helps with all of the uh, expenses that we have, which aren't a lot, but it uh, does help us to to make this a, a kind of a cost recovery endeavor, which is always nice. Yeah, no, we do really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, because we uh, we put it out, we put the podcast out um, via some hosting platforms. And uh, in order to have the podcast drop uh, when people are, are going to uh, have, have an expectation for it to come on a reliable basis, there is a small cost to doing, uh, to doing that and some of the other stuff that we do. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. And it's all, also nice when our microphones or other things break, then we can, we can replace those. things. we've had to do that a couple of times. So it's all good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we've had uh, a few people writing in about doing these uh, summer short podcast uh, episodes. Uh, yeah, what do you think about these, Shane? It's been pretty fun. I've I've enjoyed them. People have enjoyed them too. Yeah, I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed recording them. It's a little bit different. Um, you know, I think in the past, you and I would typically would talk until we sort of ran out of words, and it worked. And it, you know, I think we'll get back to that at some point too. Um, but it's nice to have these shorter focuses and, and definitely on a kind of a personal level, it's just nice to free up some weekends so that you and I aren't having to record every Sunday uh, (laughs) during the summertime when, you know, we all get a little busier at this time of the year. So it's nice to, nice to have some time off, so to speak. Yeah. And we recorded every week for what, over like, it was like 27 months or something like that. We recorded every week. It was something like over two years. I think we recorded every week. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite a bit and, uh, it was nice, you know, and I, I think that, um, it just worked well during that time. Cause there wasn't a lot of other, no, I don't know, competing things for, you know, our, our free time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just reaching for something here. So yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I've enjoyed doing the shorts cause uh, for me anyway, um, I think for you as well, it kind of allows us to explore, um, maybe some other topics that, wouldn't fit into uh, the longer format. So yeah, I've, I've enjoyed that uh, flexibility uh, quite a bit as well. So yeah, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't mind doing, doing some going forward. And then uh, one thing I was also, I wouldn't mind doing some more interviews, you know, uh, it's uh, that was something I thought we would do more of. And then there are some logistics Typical challenges to to doing interviews, as as you know, Shane, but so that listeners know as well. Sometimes you think, oh, an interview is going to be easy because, well, the other person's going to do all the talking. But I always find uh, the interviews are are great; they're a lot of fun, but um, they take as as much uh, prep, if if not more, sometimes to set up and then to uh, to actually record with uh, with folks, which is great. But if you want it. If you want it to be um, a good experience for the guest and and as well for the listener, then um, you know it does take some some effort and it's a little different logistically to to line folks up. So one of the things I was thinking is maybe if we were going to do more interviews, we could do some shorts and then do some interviews uh, interspersed in, in amongst uh, other other shorts as as we move ahead. Anyway, just sort of one of the things I was thinking of, and uh, 
yeah, I'd be wondering what people are thinking of that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely some options out there. I definitely, you know, I certainly enjoy the interviews as well. And if we can line up more people uh, to do that, that's, uh, I think that's great. Yeah, so we finally had some clear skies here. I'm actually kind of tired because I think it's either six or six, it's at least six nights that I've been observing three hours a night and uh, till just past midnight each night. And uh, yeah, so I'm getting kind of a little bit tired because that's like a good work week almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it really has shaped up, and and you picked the right week to to have a vacation from work. So, yeah, um, that was really uh, good timing on your part. Um, yeah, you know, I think I've been out four or five times in the last week as well. Uh, just once, you know, under a dark sky, and then the rest of it has been uh, backyard observing. But but it's been really nice. It's been clear. Uh, the temperatures are. Uh, still quite warm for us and it's just been some really good opportunity for us to use the telescopes yeah it uh it's just luck that i ended up off um this past week because i had wanted to take the week before off because that was the better week as far as the uh the lunar cycle went i think you were off and and i think mike uh had taken some half days or something in the hopes that it would uh be clear but i i couldn't get the days off work um, I could only get uh, the past week off, and uh, yeah, it just boy. As soon as uh, as uh, Saturday uh, rolled around, we had a bit of cloud and a little bit of a storm come through and a cool down, and then Sunday it uh, it uh, the clouds cleared off, and it's really been clear more or less ever since. So yeah, it's been really really good. Yeah, and seeing conditions have been pretty solid, so it's it's been a, a good opportunity to look at Saturn and Jupiter. Um, so yeah, I've been definitely taking advantage uh, of, of it all. Had a real fun session out at your house. It's been a while since you and I have observed together and it was uh, nice to finally do that again. Yeah, we did a, we had did a bit of an interesting experiment that we wanted to do for a while. Uh, um, what, did we, what did we do there, Shane? <laughs> Well, we, we had the, the battle of the ta- Takahashis. <laughs> we, we each had our four inch tacks out. Um, so mine, the uh, TSA 102 and yours, the uh, DC 100. And uh, we looked at a lot of objects, uh, like the same object through the telescope. And we tried to match um, our magnifications as best as we could. Although the, the focal lengths are different. You know, my focal mm-hmm. length is 816 which gives it a focal ratio of an F8. And then I think yours is what, 7.4 or something yep. like that? Yeah, yep. so 740 millimeter focal length. But I think we're pretty close on most of our magnifications. Um, you know, and a quick qualifier too, just about the comparisons we did. Uh, we weren't, you know, we weren't swapping diagonals and eyepieces to keep that consistent. No. So there, there was a little bit of a variable there, but I think it still gave us a pretty good understanding of both telescopes. And they're certainly a lot closer than they are different in my mind. And, and I think as well, because we're, uh, we're pretty familiar with the eyepieces that we have, and they're very comparable eyepieces. I think, you know, where you had the Leica running, I had Pentax XWs and, um, they're, they're eyepieces and, and optics that are more similar than, than they are different, uh, anyway, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if you could see the two millimeter difference or not, but I couldn't. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the two millimeter difference really didn't stand out to me. Um, again, I, I thought they were more similar than anything. You commented a couple times, you felt that the background in the TSA was maybe a little bit darker and yep. I, I think you could convince me on that too. Um, but uh, maybe other than that, I don't know if I felt, you know, anything else that was really 
all that different. How about yourself? Yeah, that's that's exactly how I felt. Is I felt like your telescope just had, and man, this was pretty hair splitting, and you had to wait for good moments. Um, I thought that the TSA had just slightly better contrast and slightly, and boy, it's very slight, slightly darker background. Um, and just in looking at the scope, you know, um, the TSA 102 is is a huge telescope compared to the mm-hmm. uh, to the 100 DC. So the 100 DC is the smallest and lightest of the Takahashi uh, four inch telescopes that that they've ever made, I think. Um, cause mine only weighs six pounds or 5.9 pounds the way I have it set up. And yours is like, I think 12 pounds or something like that before you put much on, or maybe 11 pounds or something. It's a big, heavy four inch refractor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think the way I have it all geared up. So, uh, with the, I have, oh, what the heck is it called now? I think it's called the sky surfer four. It's a red dot finder from Bader. Yeah. Um, you know, the two inch diagonal with, with all of that stuff in there, rings, blah, 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 blah. I think I'm sitting at about 16 pounds and then yeah. you, know, you have to throw an eyepiece on it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful telescope. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, when you have them side by side and you start looking through them, you realize right away, sort of the strengths and weaknesses of, of each of these designs. And it's sort of fascinating the Takahashi heads created like two such uh, such different instruments. So the, the DC 100 is so small, um, you know, when it's set up next to like an 80, like I never use my 80 millimeter refractors because my, uh, my 80 millimeter F7 apocrymat is almost identical in size, weight and half to my Takahashi DC 100. So it just doesn't make any sense to, to use it. Um, and then like when you see your TSA 102, if, if I had my five inch, um, apocrymat set up next to it, they, they, you know, are way closer in size. In fact, I still think your TSA might be slightly larger than my five inch. Yeah. Well, I, I took a photograph. I should put it on Twitter. Oh yeah. That'd be good. Um, well, a photograph of my TSA one Oh two beside the Skywatcher one twenty ED. So, you know, a 4.7 inch. And, uh, the only difference is the length of the Skywatcher. It's like a 900 and I forget 900 ish millimeter focal length. So mm-hmm. you, you see that and that's obvious, but the width of the lens uh, cell, like the dew shield and the two, like everything else looked the same. And yeah. it's uh, surprising how that TSA really seems overbuilt. I'm not sure, like what I'm wondering about now is, um, so there's two, uh, well, maybe there is more, but I'm only aware of two TSA models. There was the 102 and the 120. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they basically used the same tube for both telescopes just for, you know, simplifying maybe. their their production. Um Cause it, it does seem like an awful lot for a four inch. Yeah. But it does, it, it does two things. And when you look at, look through them side by side, you can see what it does. One, like, well, I guess the third thing is it increases the size weight and heft. Um, but it also, in my opinion, reduced tube currents because your glass is sitting way, way inside the tube. And so any tube currents that are in there, are you're pretty far away from the um, optical light path. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're right off the hop. You, even though it's a bigger, heavier telescope, it almost seems counterintuitive. Like when you, when you got it and talked about how fast it cooled, I honestly, I don't know that it's cooling faster. I think it probably cools slower, 
but you just don't see the impact of that cooling because you know it's the 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 uh you know the the currents are just being guided away from from that optical path and then as well it enables them to have a lot more space inside the tube to put in baffles and like whatever else uh that you know the magic takahashi uh pixie dust that goes in there mm-hmm. um it it just allows for more of that like the focuser on it is just like a completely different kind of focuser because that focuser just wouldn't even fit on on my telescope. So, um, you know, you, you you can really see that. Um, at the same time, yeah, you got the extra the extra weight and such, which uh, you know, which is a little bit of a detraction. But for sure, yeah, I mean, you you can see um, the advantage in in uh, what appears to be faster cooling time, less mm-hmm. impact of tube currents, and uh, and I think slightly better contrast due to uh, the ability to put full size baffles or whatever in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so also one thing we didn't mention and just, uh, just for all of the listeners, in case they're not familiar with these two models, the, probably the biggest difference really is yours is a doublet. Mine is a, a triplet. And, um, it was interesting just to see, cause I, I have been intrigued visually, uh, you know, what kind of difference a triplet could make. Mm. Um, you know, maybe one other thing that did stand out for me and, I don't know if this is as much of a comment on the difference of the two telescopes or just how seeing can vary, uh, as well as some of the other variables that we talked about, that being the diagonal and the eyepiece. But we spent a lot of time on Saturn, and Mm -hmm. I just felt like there was a couple faint moons. I'm not sure which ones they were, if it was like Dion and, um, oh, what the heck is the other one? Uh, uh, Mimis? Um, yep, and then what's it. the other one that begins with E on, on, uh, uh, Enceladus Enceladus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's Rhea, Tethys, Enceladus, Mimus. Yeah. We definitely saw Rhea. Uh, I'm not sure we might've seen Tethys too. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we saw that, but, um, Enceladus and, and Dion, I felt like I was able to like see those a little bit easier in my telescope. Yep. But again, I don't know if that was just cause sometimes for like, uh, you know, those moons were a little bit on the threshold that night for seeing. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's just, well, when I was looking through my scope, maybe the seeing was just a little bit steadier at that moment. So it, it's, it's hard to say definitively if, if, you know, that was the telescope or all the other variables <laughs> allowing that. Well, I, I, I agree totally. And, and I think, uh, I, you know, what I noticed, and that's, that's why I mentioned like the larger tube and the ability to handle tube currents as part of that design. Mm-hmm. Um, because like with yours, I found that I would get the seeing like, oh, like I, it just felt like I was getting more better seeing conditions, uh, mm-hmm. uh free, more frequently through yours. So, so there wasn't anything that I, that I couldn't see through my telescope. But I found like with yours, I would stand there for two or three seconds and then everything would seem seemingly to still up. And I get like, you know, five or six, seven seconds of really good seeing with mine. It was like I had to wait two or three times as long for the good seeing. And that good seeing didn't seem to last half as long. And I was like, oh, that's really weird. So like with my scope, yeah, for sure. I could see, you know, like the the dark band on Saturn and some of the dusky details on the cloud deck. Um, but when, when I would look through yours, it was like I had it right away and then it, it seemed to last longer. And then, and then it would also kind of go away and blur out as, as the scene came and went. Um, but yours was less susceptible to, uh, to those impacts. And I, and, and I mean, it just makes sense. Like when you look at the two scopes, 
um, and and the way that they've designed them, like when you have them side by side, you can you can just see why that telescope would perform um, a little bit better. Now it, it would be interesting to kind of take them and and cool them and like go through all kinds of funky stuff and and actually run that comparison. But this is like a real world comparison. We've got the scopes, kind of put them out more or less at the scene. I put mine up. In fact, I put mine up before you put yours out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so it should have had some sort of advantage there, but it didn't. Um, yeah, I would I would just say I think it's a it's a fair fair evaluation. I love doing that. I, I love comparing really similar telescopes. I don't know why I think that's so much fun though. <laughs> you know, one there's two things I wished we would have done more of though with a comparison, and really this just means for a part two and maybe a part three to this uh, comparison. But uh, I wished we would have looked at like Almac up in Andromeda, uh, mm. a beautiful double that is uh, very apparent orange and very apparent blue. Just mm-hmm. to see the color rendition, I think that would have been kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing would have been to chase some faint nebula or just some other deep sky objects to see how they uh, compared there as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, for sure, we'll do that as as uh, time goes on. Yeah, I would really, really look forward to uh, to that as well. Yeah, it was just, it was just so so cool. Just, I just, I don't know. I've done that a few times before. I compared my Borg five inch to. Um, which was 125 millimeter f6 to the Takahashi FS 128 f. I think it's like an f8 or something like that. And we ran comparison like that, um, and that was you know very similar, mm-hmm. uh, two or three millimeters difference, slight difference in focal uh, length, and put them on like some objects. And yeah, when when you get into these telescopes, though, it becomes really really hair splitting. Mm-hmm. um, to see, to see the differences. So yeah, for sure. Um, and I've done it also with, uh, with telescopes that aren't as close. And, and I think you've seen this before. Sometimes it's surprising the differences that you can see between, um, like a mass produced lens and, uh, you know, and like, a like a Pentax or a Takahashi lens, um, you can actually see that. And it's a similar thing where again, it, it almost appears like it's a seeing difference. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's not even necessarily like the glass or the lens or some of these other things that, that maybe people might uh, originally latch onto, but um, there's some sophistication in the construction of, of the telescopes themselves. I think that, uh, that actually lends to, uh, to improved uh, images at the eyepiece versus than than just whether it's like FPL this or FPL that or SD this or SD that. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's actually just the design of the instrument. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I really like your comment about like the perception of like, you know, seeing was limiting, you know, things or whatever. Um, I, I've seen that before. I, I, I've talked about it even on the podcast a couple of times, I think, but my most memorable view of Jupiter was a few years ago with my Skywatcher 120ED. Mm-hmm. And um, it was one of those nights where it just seemed like there was no limit to the power I could put in my telescopes. So I was yeah. using my Leica Zoom. Um, you know, I, I got it all the way down to the, I think it's 7.9 is its lowest focal length and mm-hmm. no issue at all. So I thought, oh, cool. I will get out my two times Teleview Barlow, see how far I can go with that. So I put that in. And I think I got it down to maybe like six or seven millimeter equivalency, like the Leica zoom. And then it seemed like, okay, that was the limit of seeing. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know why I decided, but I thought, why don't I try my two and a half times power mate uh, made by Teleview? 
And holy smokes, I bottomed out the Leica on that. So like I got it down to like four millimeter or three millimeter. And it was like the sky just said, keep going. <laughs> like there was no yeah. limit to it. And it really made me, that was like in an instant, uh, I was, you know, it really made me realize, um, you know, the difference between good optics and great optics. Um, and also how probably on most nights I would never see a difference between the two times Barlow and the two and a half times power mate. Yeah. But on a night like that, when it was amazing, holy smokes, like the, the difference was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I've had a couple other experiences like that with other eyepieces where you sort of hit a limit and I try a different eyepiece and all of a sudden that limit's gone. And it, yeah. it looked like the limitation was seeing up in the atmosphere, but it really wasn't. It was my, you know, well, it, it appeared to be my optics unless all of a sudden seeing improved, but, um, yeah. you know, interesting stuff. And, uh, I should also say thank you, Chris, for saving my observing session that night. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I've been, uh, I've been bino viewing exclusively with the TSA and I've shortened the light path as much as I can so that I'm able to use my bino viewer without any sort of barlow. And, um, when I was packing up, I thought, you know, the, the two inch diagonal adds an awful lot to the light path. And I just thought I'll be okay. And didn't even bother packing my two inch extension. And then I get to your house and we set up and all of a sudden I can't reach focus. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank you for the use of your two inch extender. It allowed me to observe that night. Otherwise yeah. I, I would not have been observing because yeah. that night I was going monovision. I left the bino viewer at home. That's, that is one of the advantages to having like a permanent um, physical location with, uh, with, with an old cabin on it is that I've got everything out here and like, if, if I've got it, it's here just about. So, you know, when you, you, you know, Oh no, I forgot my extension. Oh yeah. I got one. <laughs> like never, ever would I ever have been carrying that around with me. Right. But yeah. I just threw everything out here except for my pan head. Cause I had that in the city when I was testing the comic catcher early in the year and I needed a screw out of that for one of my Takahashi mounts. So I had hoped to put my five inch telescope up the night before last, but I couldn't cause I didn't, uh, I didn't have that screw, but, uh, yeah, you've got out a couple more nights. I, th I think, um, doing planets and double stars from the yard, I guess. Mostly just planets. Um, like the way my backyard is, I, like they have to get about 30 ish degrees up in the sky before I can see them in the East. And then I start to lose them in the West too, just because of, uh, houses around me. So, um, you know, my, my planet observing from the backyard is actually like a, the, sh the season is a little shorter because of all these obstacles. So I've been just, yeah, doing a lot of Saturn observing, uh, and a lot of Jupiter observing. And, um, it's been a lot of fun. Like, you know, the last couple of years I've been doing uh, planetary observing almost exclusively with my TAC 76, uh, and really enjoyed it. That's a beautiful telescope, but to have the image scale now of a four inch telescope, mm -hmm. it's like, wow, <laughs> you know, it's just so much bigger and it's, it's just been a lot of fun. So I've enjoyed that. Um, I did set up my, uh, I have an EQ mount that tracks. It's not a go-to. And, um, I haven't used it probably in over a year, you know, since last, uh, planetary season. So I set it up, got ready to go only to find out that my battery pack was dead. 
And uh, I tweeted out that, you know, that's the, the trials and tribulations of a low tech observer. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Uh, because I don't use this stuff all that often. It, you know, it wasn't ready to go. So bad on me. I, I should be a little more prepared, but yeah, doing a lot of planetary and a lot of solar observing as well during the daytime. Um, man, I have not seen this much action on the sun in a long, long time, maybe ever. It's just been so good. There's been so many large prominences. Um, and like, there's always prominences on the sun, but this year they're just huge and there's lots of them. And there's a lot of, uh, evolution or dynamics within them. And then there's that massive, uh, sunspot grouping that sent a, a CME, uh, towards earth. I think it's actually probably hitting around tonight or tomorrow. So I think the Aurora will be ramping up again. Oh, I um, saw it last night. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. been wild lately, just almost every night. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, I've been saying it on podcasts quite a bit recently is just, if you have any kind of means to do some solar observing, uh, there's just so much to see right now, whether it's white light or hydrogen alpha, um, there's, there's a lot of uh, fun times to be had there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so what else have you been observing? Cause you've, uh, you've been out, you said six or seven times. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been out with, uh, with all my scopes. I was mostly observing with, uh, with the hundred DC on, on some nights and did some sketches of like Kemble's cascade and a few other things. And then, um, what was I looking at? Oh, I had the comic catcher out and I've been, you know, gradually tweaking that. Have that working pretty good. You you had a short view through that the other night, I think. What'd you what'd you think of the comic catcher? It's a pretty neat little operation, I think. Yeah, it's it's super neat. It's it's so weird to look at it because it's five and a half inches of aperture, but it just seems like you could well, I think you could put it in a backpack quite easily oh, yeah. and just walk away. It is yeah. just so small. Um, so yeah, it it looks super cool. That focuser or like the sled focuser is just super neat to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see that thing when it's aligned because that definitely, you know, showed up in the in the view. Um, I think that once you get that dialed in, it's going to be a great little telescope. Yeah, even even with it slightly out of alignment yeah um yeah it's pretty fun pretty fun to look through using low power and just scanning around did some sketches sketch the north american nebula through it and sketch the heart and soul nebula up in uh, cassiopeia perseus border through it and uh what, what else was i sketching hasmino's cluster i i sketched that and uh took a sketch of I think M16. Yeah. I spent a, spent an evening, like a long time observing Messier 16 Eagle Nebula through that telescope. And, uh, oh yeah, I took a look at the, it's called Ruprecht 147, which is just off the teaspoon of the, uh, of the Sagittarius, uh, Northern region. And then, yeah, I've been trying to hunt down, um, NGC 6822 and the little gem planetary, but I, I haven't had any luck. I think, just with a little bit of haze and smoke that we've had around, I think I need a pretty good night uh, mm -hmm. to get those kind of sort of, I've, I've observed them quite a few times before, but not from this location. I think, I think I need a really good night. Just haven't quite had the, uh, had the conditions. Um, one night it was, it was, it was pretty windy and it wasn't supposed to be clear. I forget what night it was, I guess like Thursday night or something. And uh, I hadn't planned to observe and I was just like around and then it was totally cloudy, uh, but it cleared off at sunset. 
but there was all this wind and I thought, huh, what am, what am I going to do? I have to take advantage of this. So I took the little 50 millimeter Borg up and, mm. uh, and, and went through and, and re-sketched, um, a lot of stuff did, uh, like a messy aid and, and the, and the Trifid, uh, M2021 did the Sagittarius star cloud M17, M16 and sharpless two 54, which is just North of Messi 16 and did another sketch of the heart and soul, uh, through the 50 millimeter and, um, sketch something else too, maybe like the North American nebula or something like that. So yeah, it was, it was just a, just a lot of fun to get the little telescope out and to, uh, and to do a pile of sketching. Um, one night I ended up sketching the Aurora cause, um, I'd never seen Aurora like that before. It was just coming in and there were these big waves and ripples, like it was just like rippling through the sky. It was, uh, yeah, it was super, super cool. So yeah, had a lot of, had a lot of fun, uh, taking a look at that. And, yeah. It's just so great to be getting out after just like almost it seems like months. I mean, not since early June have we had more than uh, one night of of clear weather in a row. Like, I mean, boy, we had a couple nights at the start of June. There was a night towards the end of June, um, and then a scattering of nights um, throughout uh, July and early August. Um, but I think I think I only had observed like. 16 times since spring or something like that between um you know the first of spring and uh and the week before last and then since last week i did like of course six or seven nights or whatever it is so basically uh 30 a third of my observing this year has been done in the past week basically which is kind of ridiculous yeah well hopefully this is uh you know a sign of how our fall will proceed um hopefully we have more opportunity um I really liked your comment too about the 50 millimeter uh, observing when it was windy out. Yeah. It's, it's just like another shout out to um, uh, kind of the purpose of a small telescope in your collection. Uh, it, it does open up some more observing opportunities like that because on a windy night, the, the larger telescopes just vibrate or sometimes they even move around, Oh yeah, um, you know, when the wind catches them, but the smaller telescopes are just way less susceptible to that. And, you know, you, if you wouldn't have had the 50 millimeter, you probably wouldn't have no. observed that night. So no, no way. I, I would have done binoculars only. I wouldn't have done any sketching and I wouldn't have had a telescope on a mount. It just wasn't possible. Like it was, it was blowing like 30, 35 kilometer an hour gust kind of thing. Uh, but it was warm ish. It wasn't that warm. It was warm. And then, um, you know, it was totally clear. Like it was nice, clear sky. So you know, you sort of have two out of the three things you're, you're looking for, just dealing with some wind. And then last night it was super warm. And, uh, I set up on the deck cause it was also super windy. It was really windy last night. Mm -hmm. And I had originally intended only just to look at the moon and the planets. And I just set up the comet catcher because the comet catcher, um, is like a sort of a bigger version of the Borg 50 because it's got a short focal length and it's a small, small tube and I put it on a heavier tripod, but, uh, yeah, after I looked at the moon and, and looked at Saturn, I thought, you know, it's, it, it was actually really quite clear. It just had all this wind and I observed in shorts until after midnight. And I, I honestly don't know that I've ever observed shorts until after midnight before. Cause typically here, by the time midnight rolls around, it's, uh, it's pretty chilly or chilly enough, especially with the wind going, but it was, it was still 21 or 22 degrees at, uh, at midnight even and even with uh i think we we're gusting to 45 kilometer hour winds but i was somewhat protected 
um, yeah, it was uh, a different experience for sure. But uh, yeah, fun fun to be getting out. Last night I did a whole pile of messy globulars, took a look at M92 and M13 and M2 and uh, hunted up M75 down there in Capricornus and looked at some of uh, Tika's old stars up there in Capricornus too. So yeah, had a had a nice session, but uh, yeah, that Aurora in the North was just huge. So um, yeah, I tucked in on in behind the cabin and, uh, and the bushes and, and blocked the light from the Aurora. Cause it was just ridiculously bright. It was like the worst light pollution ever in the North. So it was kind of crazy. <laughs> well, that's so that sounds similar to when I left your, your place on Tuesday night. Um, you know, we had a, a really nice session and, um, I was probably halfway home and noticed in my rear view mirror and side mirrors, like this bright light behind me and yep. it was the Aurora and I, huge band occupying the entire north uh, yep. probably up to about 20 25 degrees and i would say it went from like the west all the way to the east just across that northern sky just this yeah. big long wave and it would dance a little bit uh, with a few pillars kind of going through and it was quite uh, quite impressive but as i got closer to uh, home which is uh, in the city uh, you know the light pollution did uh, drown that out and I, I lost it but it was it was a nice display for sure yeah yeah somebody wrote asking if if uh, they're coming up to Canada and they were asking uh, if uh, there's a good chance of seeing Aurora <laughs> I have seen Aurora almost every night for the past week so yes yeah there's, there's yeah, yeah. right now if people haven't people haven't seen it before you should you should make your way north of the border for sure <laughs> There's yeah, a lot the of sun right now. Yeah, the sun is so active; it just doesn't seem like we're we're going to uh, be out of this anytime soon. Mm -hmm. All right, well, that's uh, lots of observing from us, Shane. Uh, do you have anything else to uh, to add to this? No, that's it, Chris. All right, well, uh, thank you. Thanks everybody for listening, and be sure to subscribe. We always appreciate uh, the Patreon support. Thanks again to Hattie, and uh, you can reach us at actualastronomy at gmail .com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>